This is Trice Talk Mini Pod for Saturday night, September the 18th, 2021, and I'm your host, Donald Wayne. I almost had a little frog going there just for a second. Uh, yeah, I thought I'd start out with something a little bit different for the uh, theme song tonight. Uh, well, it's not really a theme song. It's just something that I wanted to play because the subject tonight, I think we need some shelter. In, in this country right now. But anyway, I uh, I know it's been over a week since I last posted a mini pod. Uh, if anybody's paying attention or counting, I hope somebody missed us, at least in the last week. Uh, uh, I think it was about a, a week ago this past Tuesday. But uh, both Dennis Lee and I often talk about on uh, our other jobs on uh, as we do the shows and which often have to take precedent over our podcast activities. After all, uh, you know, we don't really make any, well, we don't make any money off of the podcast. So until such time, we're forced to continue our day jobs, you know, to pay the bills. So we actually have places where we can, you know, do our podcast, right? Uh, so, and while I've usually been able to to post many pods, uh, regardless of my other activities, uh, this time, uh, this past week and a half, almost, gosh, uh, it's been about a week and a half, uh, it's just been a little bit more difficult than usual. And um, not that there was any shortage of things going on that I certainly uh, had opinions about. In fact, several times I sat down in this chair right in front of this microphone and I, I had all these things that I wanted to say about events of the day. And when it came right down to it, I just really didn't have time to do it justice. And of course, Dennis Lee's been unable to, to uh, do Trice Talk with me for uh, about the same period of time. And so we just, it's just, you know, a process. Uh, but you know, before that point, you know, I was really, we were pretty much posting something for Trice Talk, either Trice Talk or Minipods, uh, just about seven days a week for anybody that was paying attention to that. But anyway, I'm going to ease back into, uh, the Minipod role tonight by sharing with you an article that I found that really expresses something that I have talked about before on several of the Minipods. And, um, and, and that is the enemies from within in our country that are trying to destroy America. And this particular article uh, kind of expresses a lot of the same thoughts that I've had and I've said. And really, it's common knowledge, some of these things uh, that are indicators about the direction our country is being pushed into. Uh, and... I guess some of it was spurred on. I also had another article I was thinking about was, um, you know, about the California uh, governor recall that uh, came to head on Tuesday when the election was. 
And like many conservatives, I was extremely disappointed in the outcome of that. I thought that if people in California actually would show up and tell the rest of this country, we do not like this, the way this state is being governed here. We're unhappy with this. This is not an American state. This is not the way we do things in this country. But that didn't happen. And I almost did a mini pod that night because I was so, you know, and I don't live in California, obviously. I live in Georgia. Dennis Lee and I both live in Georgia. And and we're both from Texas originally. So that's where our love is for, for these two states. But I can remember as a young man, and maybe even as a, as a kid, I always you know, heard about Disney Disneyland, and, and I wanted so badly to be able to go out to Disneyland, but Disneyland was like, um, I don't know, 1,700 miles, 2,000 miles from where I lived in Texas, something like that. So that wasn't going to happen. And then, uh, you know, as a young man, I, I dreamed about getting a Corvette and going out and driving the the uh, Pacific Coast Highway all the way up from, I guess, San Diego up into uh, Seattle. That was always a dream of mine because I always saw how pretty that was. And then, of course, you know, the the limelight of Hollywood and and different aspects of California, uh, the Beach Boys, the surfer scene, all of those things that made it seem like such a wonderful fascinating place for people to go and if not able to live there, but just to enjoy and see. And then reality has hit probably in the last 20 years, I guess Arnold Schwarzenegger, regardless of how you feel about him one way or the other, that was probably the last time uh, we had some Republican hopes in California. But anyway, so after that election, I was like, I, I, you know, um, there's not widespread talk about fraud and everything. It's just either the, the good people of California who are sick of that system didn't show up and vote, or there's really not that many people in California that give a shit about what happens to that state. So anyway, I had lots of stuff I could talk about, but uh, just just didn't work out. But tonight I saw this, and with all the stuff that's been going on, um, I I just thought, well, let me let me get back in the flow of things here by sharing this article with you, which I do from time to time, um, and I, I hope that you enjoy these articles that I do share with you because I think uh, they're. They're written by people that are, are a little bit better at doing that kind of stuff than I am, at least expressing those views, and they're certainly more informed than I am. Uh, this particular person in general, let me move back up here. Um, bear with me for a second. Uh, anyway, uh, let me start here. The, this article is 
entitled uh, We Are in a War for America's Soul. And it was written by Michelle R. Westlander Quaid. Now, I don't know if she's related to uh, Dennis Quaid or not. I, I doubt it seriously, but uh, does share the same last name. But this was printed in the Epic Times originally yesterday, I believe, or maybe it was, I'm sorry, it was Friday, and then it was reposted yesterday, Saturday the 18th. Um, so just a little background on Michelle. She's uh, president of Senesis Nexus and is a certified professional coach, consultant, and speaker with 25 years of career experience in the national security community. She was recruited into government to lead innovation and transformational change in defense and intelligence following the terrorist attacks of September the 11th, 2001, and served in various senior executive roles, including the first deputy chief information officer for the director of national intelligence. So that's kind of her background. Again, she's got a lot more uh, informed uh, opinions about uh, this subject than I can share with you. But uh, let me switch over here. Bear with me so I don't end up um, <laughs> canceling this. All right. She starts out. My career has taken me around the world, including the combat zones in Iraq and Afghanistan, to support our troops. These travels have helped me appreciate how fortunate I am to have been born in America, home of the free, because of the brave. On the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terrorist attacks in the United States, people across our nation gathered in remembrance of the lives lost and the heroes who selflessly gave their lives to save others. On September the 11th, 2001, I was in Washington, D.C. and saw the hole in the Pentagon. Later, I traveled to New York City and saw the massive hole where the Twin Towers once stood. Those are images I will never forget. In 2002, I was recruited into government service to lead necessary change and transformation in the intelligence community including better integrating our imagery and signals intelligence enterprises, America's eyes and ears, if you will. I was sworn in as a senior executive in the defense intelligence and was a civilian peer to general and flag officers. After the Office of the Director of National Intelligence was established, I was sworn in as the first IC Deputy Chief Information Officer. In that role, I worked across the 17 agencies that comprise the U.S. information community and regularly met with leadership of both the IC and the Department of Defense. Through my 25 years of service in the national security community and study of history, I have become aware of the techniques, tactics, and procedures that our enemies use. Though the Cold War ended 30 years ago, our nation is still in a war that has been brewing for decades, a war 
with America's soul. Nikita Khrushchev, who ran the Soviet Union from 1958 to 1964, openly predicted the destruction of the United States and said that it would happen in the way that every society eventually collapses. He said, we will take America without firing a shot. We do not have to invade the U.S. We will destroy you from within. Khrushchev was talking about an entire system of Marxist indoctrination and takeover that they had refined and executed in country after country during the 20th century. Soviet defector Yuri Bezmenov, a former KGB operative and high-level Russian propagandist, escaped to the West in 1970. He warned America about the KGB tactics used to subvert a nation that he witnessed firsthand in the Soviet Union. This is a planned process of altering the way people think for a particular purpose, which is to affect a regime change. It's effectively the brainwashing of society, a slow, methodical transformation. Those who conduct this ideological subversion are very patient to employ the tactics over decades. Ideological subversion has four stages and follows the Hegelian dialectic, a tactic long exploited by Marxists and fascists to control people. Stage one is demoralization. This is the destruction of faith in the government and society, believing that society is broken, systems are failing, and patriotism is evil are three key beliefs that are promoted to create guilt. This leads to the acceptance of radical new ideas because the current structure is believed to be harmful. Traditional Judeo-Christian morality, classical education, and American patriotism are discarded. I'm going to stop right here and say, does any of that sound like anything that's been going on in the last uh, year or two? Probably longer in some aspects, but does that not sound familiar? And if it does, does that not bother you? Does that not scare you? I was around when Nikita Khrushchev said that statement that uh, I, I shared with you just a minute ago that, that's in this article, that they wouldn't have to fire a shot to take over America. And this is in the 1960s, and I know a lot of people laughed at it at that time. They, they could not believe that that would be a possibility. But that was a dream. That was a twinkle in the eye of socialist and probably Russia at the time. All right. Stage two is destabilization, with the decision-making ability of Americans negatively affected through demoralization, the step takes a foothold. Destabilization of the nation's foundations. The nation's foundations. How many times does that get criticized how many monuments can they take down? How many of our founding fathers can people tell you were evil, racist people? Destabilization causes citizens to believe the worst of what 
they hear about their nation and form a government and form of government. Supporters of traditional values and foundational structures in the nation are ostracized and even demonized. Does that not sound familiar? Everything that I'm reading here in this article should ring a bell with you if you care about this country, if you are a conservative, if you are a Republican, or if you're a Democrat who really loves this country, but just may not agree with certain things. Stage three, crisis. The altered values of Americans cut to the root of the current systems. Upheaval presents opportunities for change. Upheavals present opportunities for change. Does that not sound like 2020? Not only COVID, but the riots, the destruction, the looting, the justification of those things by leaders in our society. At this point, citizens want the government to provide stability. We saw this recently as a demoralized and destabilized society responded with fear and panic when a pandemic faced our nation. Americans are willingly trading civil rights and freedoms for <laughs> well, uh, I can't say it. <laughs> All right. So an overreach by the government that they believe will keep them safe. I think it's, I can't say it. Every time I try to get it out of my mouth, I get tongue tied here. So bear with me there. Anyway, overreach by the government that they believe will take care of them. Messaging in all of this is key. The mainstream media and their tell a vision programming programming play a role, a key role in framing the prescribed narrative as truth. Does that not sound familiar? Oh, I sound like uh, Joe Biden now. I'm starting to whisper. Does that not sound familiar to you? The mainstream media which really went nuts in 2016, freaking nuts. And now they believe everything that comes out of the Democrats' mouth, even when they know some of those Democrats are socialist, even though they know that some of those people are communist or socialist with their values but they keep telling it like it's truth. Stage four, normalization. I can say that word. The new normal is a term we have heard constantly lately, and it's an accurate description of what the normalization stage is all about. When the government and societal structures have changed to restrict liberty, citizens are told the radical transformation is the way it has to be. Ironically, it's described as normal when it's not normal at all. Normalization creates a new baseline for what a nation will accept, value, and promote. 
the cycle is complete when you get to that stage. These steps are repeated over and over, bringing a greater result with each cycle until there's a controlled collapse. America could be on the very verge of collapse right now unless we collectively wake up to reality and take a stand to stop tyranny. The Hegelian dialect is the framework for guiding people's thoughts and actions into conflicts that lead them to a predetermined solution. The enemies of America are using this tactic to create fear. Turn citizen against citizen and divide our nation. A house divided cannot stand. If people do not understand how the Hegelian dialect shapes their perceptions of the world, then they do not know how they are helping to implement the agenda, which ultimately is to advance humanity into a dictatorship, whether by the fascists, the communists, or the globalists, and their new world order. We must step outside the dialect so that we can be released from the limitations of controlled and guided thought. The most important thing about America is liberty. America is what has stood between power-hungry people and their goals of world domination. The true enemies of America are trying to convince us that we are each other's enemies and that big government and control of the lives of the many by a few is the solution to cure what ails us. We must all recognize that they are weaponizing the crisis and this narrative is a lie. Government bureaucrats are now labeling anyone who thinks they have overstepped their constitutional bounds as enemies of the state. Patriots, terrorists, what liberty-loving people are now combating is pure evil. All it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. As we reflect back on September 11, 2001, one thing stands out about that time following the terrorist attacks is that we forget or we forgot the things that divide us. We united as Americans at that time. There, there's no better example than what we saw in New York City. We were united together in support of one another, fighting a common enemy. So many have sacrificed so much to secure our liberty and preserve it for future generations. Many of us have lost a loved one on foreign battlefield or from a service-connected illness after they returned or in the line of duty here at home. How do we honor their sacrifice and that of so many others in our nation's 245-year history? We stand and fight to uphold liberty and to un and our unalienable rights enshrined in America's founding documents. If liberty is to be lost, it won't be on our watch. I think she's hit it right on the head or the nail on the head. I guess I should say that's the saying, Ah, you know, I butchered that one. How much of what I just read to you, Sounds exactly like the crap that's going on, has been going on. I know before Donald Trump was elected president, they did it to George Bush. And, and, and they did it with when Barack Obama was in office. 
It's been going on for years. But when Donald Trump was elected president, it's almost like they found somebody who wouldn't put up with their crap, who didn't follow their rules, who didn't give a crap about what they could do to him. He wasn't a politician. He wasn't looking for a long-term political career. They couldn't hurt him, even though they spent five years trying to do so. And why did they try to hurt him? Because he, he was the embodiment of everything that they weren't. Even many of our beloved Republicans at the time. But that stuff about what Nikita Khrushchev said in the 1960s is scary. And any of, any of you who are old enough to remember that time probably didn't think much about it. Now nah, it's not going to happen. Can't happen. Not in this country. No. Can't happen in this country. All right. So I want to share one other thing with you here. Let me click out of this. I want to share one other thing here with you that I've found that I can tie into this. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do the whole article this time because it's, it's about as long as that one. But it's one because I was, I was trying to look for the names of the, you know, basically the, the socialist members of Congress. And when I did that, I found this article that was published in January of 2021. And uh, it was in a publication called The Viewpoint. I don't, I think I've seen it before, but I, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with it. But it says uh, the title of the article is Congress Now Has More Socialists Than Ever Before in U.S. History. And this is as of January 11th, 2021. Uh, and then it says the high water mark for socialists elected to national office is in step with a proud tradition in American politics. All right. So I'm just going to share. I got three paragraphs with here that I want to share with you because I think it, it ties into some of what this other article I just shared with you says, because in order to, to, uh, work against America and its values. You have to have people in high places slowly, but surely that are pushing agendas that are pushing it in the direction of everything that this article I just shared with you says all those four steps. You need people to do that. Well, we've had the media that's done it for them for the past five years, maybe a little bit longer, but, because they gave George Bush hell too. But again, everything stepped up in 2016. When Donald Trump won the election, they stepped up their game drastically. And in 2020, it worked so well that uh, I, I guess they feel emboldened to just do everything on their list now. But this article, let me share a little bit of this with you because it talks about the people in Congress. It says in the 2018 midterm elections, two members of Democratic Socialist of America candidates, that party, elected two people. They were elected to the House of Representatives, Rashida Tlaib in Michigan's 13th district and 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and New York's 14th District. To mark the occasion of the most socialist entering the House for the first time in a single year, uh, and, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't share with you, Maurice Eiserman is the one who wrote this article. Uh, I wrote these pages. The 116th Congress will consist of two socialists and 433 representatives of other persuasions. It's a start. And indeed it was. In November 2020, both Tlaib and Ocasio-Cortez handily, re, uh, handily won re-election and have been joined by the 117th Congress by two more Democrat Socialist of America members. Cory Bush from Missouri's 1st District. Oh, yeah, there's a wonderful human being there. And Jamal Bowen, Bowman from New York's 16th District. Uh, I don't know much about Jamal Bowman. I, I think I have heard his name mentioned one or two times. That raises the Democrat Socialist members from two to four out of 435. Doesn't sound like a lot, does it? At this rate, doubling the socialist delegation every two years, it would only take six more elections before socialists in 2032 would become a majority in the House. Exponential growth is a wonderful thing. Given the contingencies of non fantasy politics, such an outcome remains unlikely. Still, this is a significant political landmark in the history of the American left, the first time in U.S. history that this many self-described socialists have held congressional seats concurrently. Two members of the Socialist Party in the era of Eugene B. Debs, Victor Berger from Milwaukee and Meyer London from the Lower East Side of Manhattan served in Congress just before and immediately after the First World War, although they didn't overlap in office. Berger's tenure was complicated by his conviction under the Espionage Act for opposing the war. The House of Representatives twice refused to seat him after he was elected and re-elected by Milwaukee voters in 1918 and 1919. What the hell is wrong with Wisconsin? Or maybe it's just Milwaukee. More recently, two DSA members served in Congress and overlapped for a number of years. Ron Dellums representing Oakland, California from 1971 through 1998. <laughs> That's a, a long term of representation. And Marjorie Owens representing Brooklyn from 1983 to 2007. So, yeah, it's only four. It's only four. But can you, in your wildest dreams, think in America that people who hate America, who oppose everything that America stands for, could actually be elected to the House of Representatives. I didn't. And I, yeah, certainly, I mean, I understand that New York's, uh, you know, God bless the, the good people of New York, but there's some crazy-ass people in New York state 
obviously, I mean, uh, <laughs> look at the governor they elected. But you expect these kind of things out of California. We, we expect crazy-ass representatives like Maxine Waters out of California, although Maxine, uh, I don't believe, is a socialist. But um, not out of Wisconsin. So this ties in, even though it sounds like a small number, it is a small number, only four. But in this day and time, should we even have those four? These people who hate America. So the fact that they got elected, four people have been elected to the House of Representatives that have to support the beliefs of these four candidates who hate America, who want to fundamentally change America, who wants to destroy everything that America stands for in the world and reshape it into what? Something that will cause its demise. So there's enough people like-minded in those areas that elected those representatives that should bother us that what happened to make these people support such extremist, such America hating representatives. So let's be clear. It's not the people that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi as well as Joe Biden talk about all the time. It's not the so-called white supremacist, a term that is thrown around now as often as the term racist. It's the deranged Democrats, the socialists like AOC and Eon, Eon Omar and Cory Booker and Bernie Sanders and Rashida Tlaib. Although out of that group I just named, I'd, I'd probably welcome Bernie Sanders before any of the rest of them. If I had to pick the best of the worst, you understand. Not that I'd ever vote for Bernie Sanders. They all espouse policies and ideals that will dramatically change America. In fact, ironically, they will destroy all the things that have made America the number one destination for immigration since the planting of the Statue of Liberty. And I know even before then, but, you know, if successful, these people and others of like mind will actually destroy our freedoms, our liberties, our voices, if you will. America will become a shell of a nation that once even with its own internal problems, even with the issues that, you know, seem to be tossed around so much today, i.e. slavery, racism, and some of the atrocities that occurred in this country, in our history. But our country was still that beacon of light on the hill, that lifesaver who was that was thrown out to numerous nations throughout the 20th and into the 21st century. We're the people, along with help from others, obviously, 
but we were the people that helped save the world from Adolf Hitler and Japan. Without America in those times, and I've said this before, what would the world look like today if America had not gotten into those two wars? The expert in these matters keep warning us time after time what is happening to our society in this country is going to drive a stake in its heart. And when the Lady Liberty is laying on the ground bleeding, her enemies are going to rush in and deliver the final blows. If America falls, who in the world is going to stand up to Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and all the other fanatics in this world that want to dominate it themselves, that want to force their way of life on everyone else. I sincerely doubt if there will be anybody that is able to fill the void of America. Oh, there's other good countries out there, of course, but they don't have the ability, they don't have the strength, they don't have the numbers that America has. They don't have the resources that America has. But then that's what the enemies of America are working on today. The resources, which is our people and the things that we produce in this country, the things that we create in this country, the ideals that we have in this country, the generosity that we have in this country, the effect that we have on other countries in the world. They want to destroy all of that because that is their one obstacle to their plan of world domination. America is that obstacle. And if we don't do something about it, it's only a matter of time. And we can't pass this on to future generations, folks. We have to do it in our generation. Now. We have to push back and we have to tell those who want to destroy America that we're not going to allow it to happen. Too many people have died to make this country what it is today. Well, maybe not today, exactly. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's a hard thing to talk about America today and then knowing that there's so much deceit and hate being sown in this country. But we still are, at least at this point, despite what the mainstream media says, despite what Joe Biden and, and uh, all the cronies on Capitol Hill 
want to throw out there at every press conference. Saki, circle back to this. There will never, ever be another country as important as the United States of America. There will never, ever be another country that can do as much for the world as the United States of America can do. And despite our faults, there's more good people in this country than there are bad. There's more more generosity in this country than anywhere else in the world. All right. That's a way to get back in to the mini pods. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about those four steps that I have read in that first article because you see it every day. And you got to be saying to yourself, this is nuts. How can these people say this? How can these people in CNN sit there and spew that, that venom every time they get on the newscast? I understand it from some points of view, but I don't understand it from the majority of the mainstream media. All right. I want to thank you for downloading or listening to this episode tonight, if you have. Um, if you like this or any of the Trice Talk family podcasts, please be sure to follow us. I hope you will look forward to my next episode of Minipod, which will post, I believe, tomorrow night, if not uh, Monday night for sure. I'm going to try to get back in the regular schedule. Like I said, there's there's plenty of, of material out there right now. So um, I, I'm not going to have any shortage of things to talk about. Um, we did not get, to, because of the break that we've taken, we did not get to finish our um, book giveaway contest that we had going on with uh, Mark Levin's book. American um, American Marxism. I want to say socialism. I don't know why. It's a mental block. I want to keep saying American socialism. But we've given away two copies so far. Um, and so we've got a couple more that we can give away uh, as soon as we kick that back off. Probably because we have to do it on live shows. I can't do it on a pre-recorded, obviously, right? So um soon as we can get together a, another live show, which possibly will be this coming Thursday, uh, next Thursday, I should say, the coming week, Thursday, maybe we'll be able to give away a copy of the book that night. So uh, watch uh, the Podbeam schedule and see if we have a live show posted for this coming Thursday night. All right. Uh, let's see. What's what I want to take out here with tonight. I, um, 
I love that Gimme Shelter song by the Rolling Stones that I started out with here tonight. Um, I guess I'm going to do this, and this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, if you will. <laughs> uh, and you'll see or you'll hear when you listen to the song. But anyway, until the next episode, keep your eyes open and your mind sharp. Stay safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.